0: talk street talk mike graham fighting the good fight with all his might providing a welcome dose
2: of common sense for the common people
3: solid talk I'll talk the independent republic of mike graham see it hear it think it talk radio and talk tv Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV, the home of common sense, the world headquarters of course of straight talking, where you get the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth not the unbridled truth, uh, but the actual unvarnished truth, that's what you get from us because we hear it from you as well as from all the other sources that everybody else hears it from so when we need to know what's going on out there in the real world, we actually talk to real people, in real places, in real situations, what we don't do is take the word of politicians, what we don't do uh, is take the word of energy companies, what we don't do is take the word of charities because i'm hopping mad this morning do you know why there's a bunch of charities who are talking about suing the british government for not looking after ukrainian refugees properly i mean are they having a laugh these people are fleeing a war zone that uh, we are having streets named after boris johnson in ukraine the people in ukraine are thanking britain very much for all the help that we are giving them both militarily uh, and by refugee status as well And here are these bozos, these lefty organisations who think it's a great idea, instead of using the money that people give them for charitable reasons, they think instead of spending that on housing some Ukrainian refugees, I know, we'll sue the government because the Tories are mean and horrible and nasty and ghastly. Well, for God's sake, guys, get off your high horse, help the refugees out and stop being numpties. It's that simple. Uh, We're going to talk China coming up later on in the show today. Apparently, people there are getting very, very desperate as they're locked down for the fourth week in a row. Some people are running out of food. Some people are running out of patience. Some people are even suggesting that they want to get arrested because at least they'll get a hot meal absolutely extraordinary and uh, we're going to talk about the nhs as well the times this morning got an incredible story about how our hospitals are crumbling uh, there's power cuts all over the place there's people getting stuck in lifts operating theaters out of action for weeks on end water falling through ceilings ceilings falling down on patients where's all the money going i mean we spend literally billions and billions of pounds a week on the nhs what are they doing with it are they burning it we shall find out Brendan Chilton is here with me as well we'll ask him with Labour after Tony Blair has declared that he was the greatest Labour leader of all time well of course he has I mean nobody else thinks that but he thinks that uh, he says it's time for Keir Starmer to follow Blair into, par- into party power and into Downing Street I'm not sure that's going to happen we're a couple of days away from the local elections the Tories are saying they could lose 500 seats could that happen and finally of course the migrant crisis continues more people coming than ever What on earth is the government going to do to stop them? 0344 499 1000 is the number. Uh, We might talk a bit about feuds in the office as well. I've had a few, as you can imagine. Uh, Have you? Uh, Do let us know. You can tweet us at uh, TV and, of course, at I-R-O-M-G. You're listening to The One Place to hear everything you will ever need for the rest of the day. Stay tuned. It's going to be very exciting. Let's say a very good morning to Brendan Chilton. Brendan. For the first time ever, ridiculously, we've actually finally met in person. We are here together, this Mike. is I know. Um, you know. I'm not letting you go. Um, <laughs> this is. I mean, this is the way. The crazy way that the lockdown has affected people, because you know, here we are, uh, having been speaking probably for a good I don't couple know, of years. Couple of years, yeah. right? I don't think in any other situation. Have I spoken to people for two years and never met them? Yeah, I know. It's like we've known each other, but yeah. it's weird, isn't it's it? A bit, you know, it's a bit like, oh yeah, we used to talk on the phone all the time, but I never, I never actually met the guy. Pen you know, pals. What? Very weird. <laughs> yeah. Very weird. Anyway, welcome to the Independent Republic and to the new uh, gleaming Talk TV Towers. Um, thank you for coming in. We've got a lot to talk about. Shall we kick off with uh, your... I mean, I kind of say your party, but I'm not sure if it even is your party anymore. You are always described by our listeners and viewers as the sensible face of Labour. They've got terrible taste. (laughs) But you are, though, because you represent to a lot of people what Labour should be. Um, Are you still involved with them in in any way, shape or form? Yeah,
2: I'm still a member of the Labour Party and, and a Labour councillor. And I think... The Labour Party over the past few years has had, it's been in a weird place, yeah. an extremely weird place. And mm. I don't think it's fully out of the woods yet. Right. We've got a long way to go. Um, I think here's moving the party in the right direction, but yeah. we, we need to pick up the pace. We mm. could have a election, general election as early as next spring. Yes. And we need to get ourselves on an election footing and start talking about the issues that people are experiencing and facing in the country. We're doing that a bit on the cost of living crisis, yeah. but I think we need to talk a lot more about enterprise jobs opportunities from Brexit, I know we're going to talk about borders in a minute, I don't think we hear anywhere near enough from Mm. Labour on how we control our borders, and these
3: are the things people are concerned about. Well, I think the thing is, you're right, I mean, they have started talking more about things like the cost of living but without any real kind of suggestions as to what to do. You know, it's all very well saying the cost of living is going through the roof, and it's all a nightmare, and it's all the fault of the Tories, but on the other hand, well, what would you do, you know?
2: Well, I think the the one thing that Keir has come out with, and and Rachel Reeves, our our Shadow Chancellor, is the removing of VAT uh, on fuel bills, and also the windfall tax. Now, I don't necessarily think a windfall tax is a good idea, because you're you're taxing profits in one year. Uh, It's not really a sensible form of taxation. Mm. But removing VAT, which is something we can do now, we're outside the European Union. Yes. Uh, good to see the Labour Party taking advantage of the Brexit freedoms <laughs> that we now have. Uh, we should be doing that, um, because people really are struggling out there, mm. and if we can cut the bills a bit, let's do it. And Boris, think...
3: take it on, do it. Well, that's the thing. I mean, there's no question that the price of everything has gone up in a ridiculous fashion. I mean, almost anything you check, mm. the price has gone up by some sort of random amount. You know, like something yeah. that used to be a pound. is now £1.50, and you go, hang on a minute, you know, inflation's running at, what, at 7 or 8%, not 50%. Yeah. How have you you managed to put 50% on the price of what you used to charge a pound for.
2: I know, and those at the lowest levels of society, in terms of income yeah. really are feeling the pinch. I mean, there was a, a, a thing I saw on social media the other week where you had basic things like butter, eggs, yeah. cheese, pasta, and all of them had gone up by about 20, 30% in actual costs. Yes. And I'm thinking for people on very low incomes, minimum wage, this mm. is disastrous. And I've seen today an interview, I, I won't say another uh, another studio, but yeah. a, a little old pensioner they were talking about whose energy bills have gone up to 800 quid. and oh, Sorry, 80% rather. Mm. And she's having one meal a day day and the government I don't care whether it's a tory government or a labor government we got to start putting more money in people's pockets right. so they can afford this cut their bills yes
3: i mean there's no shortage of money going around either because no. we're going to be talking you know, later on in this hour about the amazing story in the times today <coughs> about the nhs and the lack of sort of upkeep if you like of hospitals which are crumbling yeah. you know some are new obviously and there are some new hospitals but many hospitals are crumbling Uh, With leaking ceilings, you know, ceilings falling down, uh, electricity power cuts. And you just think, who's spending all the money that we give the NHS? Because for a long time, people have been saying, oh, they need more money. People thankfully have stopped saying that. But COVID basically killed the NHS. We were supposed to save the NHS. And what we've done is killed it. We have. And um, I find as well, particularly older
2: people as well, you've seen massive deteriorations in their quality of life. That, you know, I mean, our dear old Queen, before yeah. the lockdown, she was quite mobile. Now yeah. she can barely walk. Yeah. And that's two years of people being forced to sit at home. And these costs, uh, these, these um, illnesses and disabilities have got to be absorbed into the NHS. And as you say, where is all the money going? Yeah. Uh, every Both Labour and Conservative at every election say, oh, we're going to spend more than you on the NHS and it it becomes a battle, doesn't
3: it, as to who can spend more money on the NHS. Well, where's it all going? Well, that's the point. I mean, you can't just keep calling for more money. I mean, I've got a tweet here from somebody who says, oh, I'll tell you where the money's going. Uh, It's paying interest to private banks because of the private finance initiatives which the Tories invented. Tories love destroying the NHS. It's their hobby. Well, I'm sorry John, you got that wrong, because actually the private finance initiative was invented by...
2: I have no recollection of who introduced (laughs) that. It was, of course, Mr Tony
3: Blair and that great student of economic. No, it's (laughs) Gordon Brown. So, I'm afraid, uh, you have barking up the wrong tree there, John, and it was Labour that, in- that initiated it, and Labour that put all of that debt onto the NHS, and lots of people are making a lot of money. But that's not where the money's going. The money's going on diversity oh, coordinators. That's... We saw an advert the other day for an ambulance coordinator, which was a remote working job, meaning you could do it from home. How the hell are you supposed to coordinate ambulance drivers if you're not sitting in a room with the ambulance drivers? Well, you would have thought, you know,
2: command and control yeah. with maps and where all the right. ambulances are. But I think, you know the issue of where salaries are going in the nhs is something we've got to look at i mean i remember i think it was actually i think we discussed it a few months ago yeah. uh, all these equality and diversity and inclusion right. managers mm. uh, around the country on sort of 80 or 120,000 yeah. pounds Well, i'm sorry that could employ three or four nurses or yeah. whatever else we absolutely. need absolutely and uh, the priorities there need to be reexamined and i think actually as a country we've got to have an honest conversation about Mm. the NHS. Can we afford the NHS on the current model? Now, this is what I'm about to say is probably sacrilegious in the Labour Party.
3: It's becoming less sacrilegious though. People are beginning to pick up and notice because it's so bad, the NHS, that it's what lots of people talk about. Well, I I mean, I'm going to say, why don't we look to Europe for what they do? They
2: tend to have a hybrid arrangement where you have a national health service, but people can also have an insurance top-up system to ease the burden Mm. uh, on the NHS. And with all these people now working at home and saving thousands of pounds every year yeah. or what they would otherwise be spending on trains yeah. I think people have got capacity some people mm. particularly middle incomes to pay for a little
3: bit more yeah. on a private Listen, scheme and it's already happening for a lot of people it because is. there's a lot of people who do need help um, and can't get it on the NHS are having to go private whether they like it or yeah. not. And many of them maybe can't afford it and wouldn't it wouldn't be their first option. But if it's the only option, that's what you're going to do. So that should already be easing the pressure on the yeah. NHS for them to be able to look after the people that can't afford to go private.
2: You can, I, I mean, I've gone think, private myself, but I think that the problem we've got is that no amount of money will ever be enough there will always be a winter crisis there will always be a case of someone that's got a poor service and the answer is more money well so you can't just keep throwing money at the problem. No. You've got to have a deep review. What is the issue? Why is all this money not translating into better patient care, better outcomes, mm. etc.? And again, as I say, I don't care if it's a Labour government, a Tory government, or whatever. No, They need to do yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely.
3: I'm not interested in party politics here. Yeah. I'm just interested in having a health service that we can actually yeah. be genuinely proud of. And yes, of course, there are times when people go into it and, and their lives are saved and there are some brilliant people working in it. Nobody's suggesting for a minute that there's no great people working in it. But what we are saying is that the administration of it is is hopeless and absolutely useless like all departments of government it <laughs> seems to me the civil service in this country and the NHS is broken all of it well i think you're
2: right and i think the pandemic and you know current cost of living and everything else is really showing that and i think people are starting to really wake up and question Where's our money going? What are they actually doing in those buildings Mm. In or now in their homes in North London or in the country? And why are we getting such a rough deal? Mm. And if both parties aren't careful, we could see, because you do see as costs go up and people experience hardship, you do see other parties emerging. So both Labour and Conservative Mm. really need to tap into this, deal with it and reform the way this country's run. they
3: absolutely do. You're quite right. Brendan uh, is here with us, Brendan Chilton. uh, He is, of course, uh, one of the most sensible Labour people I've ever met. Uh, I wish there were more of them, because right now, uh, you've got Keir Starmer still dodging the question about beer gate. I don't particularly want to talk about how many beers he had, or how many pies he had, or how many pieces of chicken corber he might have eaten. That's not really the problem for me. What I'd like to know, though, is what on earth the bloke stands for. What does he actually believe in? What does he say now that people are saying, oh, now Tony Blair's your hero again, that's fine. Well, he was in Jeremy Corbyn's cabinet, wasn't he? Well, how does that work? I don't really know. But call us. Also, we want to hear your NHS stories today, because we are going to be shocking you uh, when you find out exactly just how bad the hospitals are the state of them in this country so we want to hear from you have you been to a hospital recently were you allowed in what was it like oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand is the number this is talk tv nationwide by your side talk radio and talk tv welcome back to the independent republican mike graham right here on talk tv here with you until one o'clock brendan Chilton's here with me as well talking an awful lot of common sense as many of you always remark whenever he's on the show um, What's wrong with Labour? Why can't they do what Brendan wants them to do? I mean, you just said something a minute ago uh, that I think is brilliant, encapsulates what Labour should do, and it's just one word that they should get rid of, right?
2: Well, the Labour Party needs to get rid of socialism. Yeah. We need to be a lot more a lot more like the Democrats in America. Mm. We need to be a pro-business, pro-enterprise party that will always look after those in need, mm. as any decent person would. Most people out there are fairly tolerant and get on with life, yeah. and they want government out of their way, and they just want to know that in hard times, the government will step uh, but every other time get out of the way and let us run our own lives and if we, we took that approach it's to me it's quite sensible and in some respects it is what Blair kind of did it well, got it us really moving is. that way well he,
3: well he got rid of clause four didn't he Yeah, and that was the end of the sort of you know the communist ideal yeah. of taking control of the means of production which if you spoke to anybody now about that they wouldn't know what the hell you were talking about I don't about. know what it means I, mean, <laughs> I don't like I mean, the sound I mean, of it <laughs> the problem is there isn't much production going on anymore so there are the means of production <laughs> anybody's guess you know if you take hold of the means of production at the NHS yeah. you'd be looking for it for a long time
2: Well, we were. Just say in this country at the moment feels clapped out nothing it works does. we don't make nothing you can't get an appointment with the gp trains are late everything's messed up and i just i think people out there are getting fed up because they're paying more and more and more costs are going up and up and up and they're not seeing the benefits of any of it and if as i said earlier on if both parties don't get a handle on this yeah. we could see some big political change in we this we really country. could
3: and the biggest problem i think actually you know i say this as a londoner is london it, oh, you it know, is. it's like it's it's whatever the opposite of the people's republic of london is um, it's because <laughs> Become this kind of haven for charities, uh, for lefty kind of socialists, champagne socialists. I mean, it's no mistake, is it, that Putney was the one seat that Labour actually won at the last election. South West London, Leafy, you know, I was down Quite there doing a, doing a live show. You couldn't move for Range Rovers, you yeah. know, and Waitroses, you know. so that's why you know you're in a Labour constituency nowadays, because it's all these people who have got lots of money, thank you very much indeed, don't care about anybody else, but make it look good that they can hate Boris Johnson and sort of have nice dinner parties with their <laughs> avocado vinaigrette. You know, um, and and, and talk about how virtuous they are. Because I've seen a story this morning in the Guardian. It's really wound me up where Priti Patel is facing mass legal action, it says, is in the Guardian, from Ukrainians. Now, that is a misleading headline because the Ukrainians who are coming here, thanks to the British government setting up a scheme, are sure very grateful that they can come. But guess who it is that's doing it? It's charities on behalf of these people who are basically saying, oh, but the system isn't working. Amanda Jones, an immigration and public law barrister, has been instructed, right? I kid you not, uh, by some organisation called, um, where are they, Vigil for Visas and Taking Action Over the Homes for Ukraine Visa Delays. Two organisations that have clearly been set up with donations from the public who are now wasting public money on suing the government. I mean, what's
2: going on? It's, it's mental I mean there's a lot to criticise this government over but I think the support that the government has given supported yeah. by the opposition uh, to Ukraine has been absolutely phenomenal uh, and it's testament to the fact that you know Zelensky the first uh, world leader he invited to Ukraine was Boris Johnson we've given an enormous amount of military aid we've been training their troops for a long long time and yes there were big problems mm. with the refugee scheme when it was first introduced but it is now starting to well, work well I mean
3: it's not easy but the point is Britain has alone been the lead- in yeah. giving help in the first instance i know other countries have sort of come johnny come lately later on like the germans who didn't want to give them anything but <laughs> from a few helmets yeah. you know we can say a lot about that um and meanwhile you know they're naming streets after boris johnson in ukraine uh, every time you get a ukrainian mp on they're thanking the british yeah. government and the british people for everything they've done these bozos will ruin all of that uh, by being ungrateful money-grabbing lefty Parasites. There That's is all a, I can say about them.
2: Well, there is a section in society, Mike, that no matter what the story, we, Britain could be. You know, we could we could cure cancer, and the complaint would be well, you didn't do it quick enough. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, they why just, didn't you cure uh, it yesterday? Exactly. That'd be Keir Starmer's uh, line. Wouldn't it? <laughs> well, oh no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there are just a load of people out there that just want to
3: run this country mm. down and frankly get lost. Exactly right. You know, take some pride in what we do. I mean, I find it really ironic. And every weekend when I'm down in Sussex and you drive around, people have got Ukrainian flags flying around. You put an England flag up, they start throwing eggs at your house because they think you're some kind of Nazi. Well, you know, it, right. unfortunately. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. And uh, it, it
2: is, it, it is a peculiar, but didn't, uh, what's his name? I'm going to get a bit intellectual now. Oh, didn't Oscar Wilde say Ooh. something about, you know, uh, patriotism uh, and, uh, you know, people not loving their own country? I think it was him or someone. Yeah. Anyway, it's irrelevant who it was. Someone made the point that, you know, The middle classes of this country despise their own country. Yes, they do. Um, I'll put the tweet up, the the quote on Twitter. I mean, there's
3: no Mm -hmm. mistaking the fact that many of those who wanted to remain in the European Union wanted to do so because they had houses there. Yeah. You know, there's no doubt. Or the au pair was from Denmark or (laughs) Switzerland or Spain or somewhere like that. But let's talk about uh, more refugees coming, of course, because the big story this week has been the return of the migrant boats. You uh, are down on the southeast corner of the country in Kent. Uh, where an awful lot of the, the impact is felt because Kent Social Services, for example, are overwhelmed, aren't they? By looking after kids, by looking after people that come in, yep. families that come in. Um and of course, as we know, most of the people that do come in at the moment are young men on their own. Yeah. Um, and, and it's and it's just a ridiculous situation. The government surely needs to start flying these people out to send a signal to the ones on the on the coast of Normandy this is where you're going if you turn up.
2: Well, I think this this year, I, I imagine we're probably going to get more people than ever than we had last year crossing the channel. Um, you know the rest of the day there were boats landing on the south coast now to me I, I don't know what this, why we're not dealing with this at cause mm. we, I know there is an issue at Calais where we've essentially built Calais up into some sort of fort all the boats are doing and moving further along the coast and coming out there now right. there needs to be much more collaboration with the French this is happening in France yeah. so people are getting on the boats in France yeah. So the French authorities but they're doing nothing aren't they're, they? exactly they're doing nothing and uh, because of course they're quite happy uh, to allow people to cross the channel risking their lives and come to the UK because then they've not got to deal with it. Um, Of course, you know, we had terrible scenes last year where bodies were washed up on... Kent's beaches. Uh, we had the sinking of that yep. boat just outside of Calais, yep. and frankly, it's unacceptable uh, that the people of Kent and you know got to pay for these extra yep. costs because Kent County Council social services, as you say, having to, to accommodate right. and look after these people without extra support. Right. Um, Pretty Patel's said this Rwanda issue would help. Uh, it did for a while, but it seems there's questions now as to whether it well, is. Well, I think
3: there's no doubt that people were hesitant to come. Yeah. but when they saw that actually nothing was being done and nobody was being rounded up. Yeah. And shipped out Um, they probably went we might as well take our chances then well that's exactly
2: what's happening and of course the, the problem we're going to have this year is and particularly what the government's going to have they promised they were going to and I quote take back control of our borders yeah and they haven't. No. Uh, And the voters, we've got elections this week, there'll be elections in years to come, will look at the pledges the Mm. government have made on this and if they haven't dealt with them, you know who knows what could happen. But the fundamental point here is these are people being trafficked by gangmasters associated with drugs and in some cases terrorism. They are dangerous people. Mm. They have been arrested in the past, some of them. I remember last year after uh, the boat sank in the channel a load were arrested. If they know who they are arrest them now so they can't keep doing it. Well
3: there was a whole bunch of people arrested I think only last week who yeah. were, uh, from originally from Romania uh, they made some arrests in Romania mm. and this was a massive people trafficking gang and drugs trafficking gang uh, that was operating freely in Britain because all of the people who were here had come on dinghies.
2: I, 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 the one thing we got to remember is there are a load of people that go on about the slave trade and reparations etc. What we're experiencing now is a modern slave mm, trade really? we've got people being brought to this country a lot of them end up working illegally, underpaid in restaurants or nail bars and places Carb like this. That kind of it's thing. all that exactly, and it's slavery. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, there are a whole host Does of people. There's going be marching
3: that... around Whitehall, spray no. painting but about <laughs> that.
2: No, but there's a whole host of people that say, "Let them come, let them come." These are slaves. Yeah. Well, these are the same slaves. the
3: same bozos who are suing the government. Yeah. Are the people who are going, "Oh, Justin, you should come here because we'll help you get yourself properly legal." Well, no thanks. You know, we've already got more people here that we can deal with. You know, we've got plenty of people who deserve to come here. Certainly, the Ukrainian refugees yeah. are welcome because we're giving them shelter and sucker in their time of need. What we don't need is to import criminal gangs of people. We've got enough of them already, thanks. Yeah, we have indeed. I mean, unbelievable. But we it?
2: best not get into a discussion of law and order.
3: Ooh, <laughs> we haven't got time. No. Listen, Brenda, great to see you in the flesh, finally. Lovely Brendan to see Chilton, you. Chilton uh, popping in there for us. Uh, we've got much more to do. We've got many of your calls to take, of course, 0344 499 1000. Uh, what is it going to take for the government to fix this problem down on the southeast of our country? This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh, Barry Hearn's going to be here later on, uh, talking about Ronnie O'Sullivan winning another world snooker title. Incredible uh, guy for what he is and what he does. And also, uh, China's censors losing control uh, of the publicity battle over in China. Because believe it or not, I was quite surprised to hear this. An awful lot of people in China actually are online and do and, and do participate in social media. Not the sort of social media we have but the stuff that they have. So it's getting harder and harder for the Chinese government to crack down on people and tell them a load of lies because they know it's not true. And there we are. We know an awful lot about the truth. Laura Dodsworth is here. She knows an awful lot about the truth as well.
0: Good morning. Good
3: morning. Very nice to see you.
0: Yeah, you too. On this
3: beautiful, it's not quite a beautiful Tuesday. It's a bit grim out there, isn't it? It
0: it is a bit, but there's always a beautiful view up here from Talk Towers. Isn't there? And also, we
3: always have a great aspect on the world because even though things might be happening which aren't entirely great, we always feel optimistic about the world, don't we?
0: We do generally. generally, but you know, uh, you know. In your intro, you said you talk about things that other media stations don't, which is why I'm here week after week. I love the fact that we can talk about everything yeah. outside of, as you say, the media mm. bubble. And this ghost of Kiev story is, for me, it's quite something.
3: Yeah.
0: Back in March, it's kind of early in March. I was in here with you saying the ghost of Kiev. Yeah the 13 signal guards of Snake Island they sounded like the mythic heroes of dark fairy tales Mm. and their feats and exploits had mythic status which was just unfeasible unfeasible I think um, a lot of people did suspect that it was propaganda and there's a a feeling that propaganda is fair game in war you know the first casualty of truth The first casualty of war Mm. is true, as they say. And a lot of people got quite a sanguine and relaxed attitude to propaganda. But there's an interesting development, as you say, which is the Ukrainian authorities have now said that the ghost of Kiev was made up by the Ukrainians.
3: Mm. Which we kind of knew, didn't we? But we didn't perhaps expect them to acknowledge that.
0: I think people suspected it. And... Even if they thought it was propaganda, there was a tolerance because, you know, people support the Ukraine. There's a there's a natural support due to a country Mm. which has been invaded. And I think people tolerate and expect a certain level of propaganda. However, what the Ukrainian authorities are saying that he was made up by the Ukrainians is not true. I think that's this is there's a a little problem here with this origin story. He was made up by the Ukrainian Mm. authorities. Yeah, let's be clear about that. It's um, it's the Ukrainian authorities that um, shared images of the ghost of Kiev. Yes. Never implied he that was he was supposed to be a fighter pilot, of, right? A fighter pilot. And now they're saying that really what he is is a collective image of yes. pilots who represent the fighting spirit and the courage and the warcraft of the Ukrainians. But I mean, that's not how called they, called they presented him. him.
3: They might, have, might as well have called him Batman, mightn't they? Or, There's a sort of Batman feel to it.
0: Yeah, the Father Christmas you of know, the sky, Searchlight yeah, up in the sky. Snoopy's Red the, Baron. Call for
3: the ghost of Kiev. You know,
0: S- Snoopy's Red Baron. But that's that's not how he was passed off. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I discussed the ghost of Kiev with political scientists and political commentator friends early on. And they were mm. like, yeah, it's propaganda. You get propaganda in war. I think that what's happened now, this latest plot twist, is completely unprecedented, mm. unprecedented though. When have we ever had a government that has made up a figure and then during the same war said oh yeah we made him up there's this really strange comfort with the admission of fiction yes. and I think that's really odd because if they're saying that how do you know what to believe and what not to mm. believe so propaganda is used to boost morale boost the spirits but it also breeds chaos and mm. mistrust
3: yes is it also about the fact that people want to rally around something whether it's an actual thing or a person or an idea or whatever it is that you want to put into their head, and so perhaps at that time, the government felt if we don't do that, it will be Zelensky, and maybe they didn't want it to be Zelensky.
0: Oh, I think Zelensky's almost been given saint status, yes, so I don't.
3: But but that's what I'm saying. I mean, imagine if they if if he had sort of been created as that figure, you know, the 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 the, the rallying round ghost of Kiev type individual, yeah. where he would be imbued with superpowers. You know, look at me. I could travel the world uh, at a single step. Mm. You know, he was appearing in every parliament in Br- in the world, pretty much over yeah, a yeah, period yeah, of yeah. about a month. You know,
0: yeah. I mean, he's turned out to be an absolute martial propaganda. Yeah. Now you're making me laugh because you sound right now just like the BBC. So hang on, Hello. hang on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna I've never to been that. so insulted in my I n- life. I knew Get this out. would, I knew this would bother you. <laughs> But there, I mean, there is there is um, a comparison. I was talking to uh, a lecturer in propaganda, Professor Colin Alexander, about this right. this story the other day, and he was uh, reminded about a sniper in the Battle of Stalingrad who was, you know, lofted for killing mm. so many um, Germans. His name was Vasily Saitsev. I shouldn't have even tried that, should I? No. Um, so he was an actual soldier, but it, it looks like his exploits were massively magnified ah. for propaganda purposes. Okay. So this has happened before. Mm. But they didn't say during the war, oh, yeah, we made it up. Right. That's the interesting thing. Now, you're being very generous. You're being very lenient about the propaganda. And that is exactly the line the BBC is taken. Well, because taken.
3: propaganda is an interesting word, right? Now, I've been expecting since you started this to bring Chris Whitty into it. But you haven't, Not which really. surprises me. Because propaganda is exactly what we've been facing in this country for the best part of the last two years. Mm. Propaganda from the government. Propaganda from SAGE. Propaganda from organisations that are supposed to be scientifically based. We've Mm -hmm. been told things which are plainly untrue for a reason. And that's Mm -hmm. what propaganda is, isn't it?
0: Mm, propaganda's a story as old as time, and it's COVID that specifically red-pilled me. But there's, there is a difference here. This is, I think, the first time we've been told, yes, yeah, not true, it's a lie, but we made it up because you need a, you need a legend, you yeah. need a myth. Now, the, that's, the, that's the attitude the BBC has taken, which I find really interesting because the BBC, the government, various busybody fact-checkers love telling us not to create and share misinformation. True. Now, what is this, if not misinformation? Well, it certainly,
3: it certainly fit, falls into that category.
0: It's not true. It's misinformation. So if this, is, this is some of the ways that the BBC News stories described it. It's a remarkably forgiving um, story about the admission of a lie. It explains that legends are not surprising, that there is plenty of room for embellishment, heroes enter national mythology, and it quotes um, a security consultancy who says the ghost of Kiev legend is important mm. because in our social media age, people need myths, heroes and legends. So they're basically saying that making something up is fine, if it's the right people who do it for the right reason. So one person's misinformation is another person's legend. Yeah. But there's a real inconsistency here. And I, the thing I struggle with is, why are we supposed to get our fact-checking from people like BBC disinformation specialists, the government, and, you know, we've got the online safety bill coming in, hmm. and all these fact-checking busybodies, right. when they can't be honest about the ghost of Kiev being misinformation? Well, no,
3: if you can't check a fact based upon the origin of its sort of ideology then it's not you're not ch- checking the facts are you it's either a fact or it isn't you know i'm sorry i'm very hard line about facts it's mm. either a fact or it's not a fact what i think about things which are not facts is different mm. but you can't pretend that a fact is a fact because you like the idea of it no
0: Can no, no exa- exactly but i mean they weren't going to talk about the ghost of kevin say look he's as real as father christmas yeah and and you know actually when you create is myth, real by the way well, the spirit of giving is real and we'd say nothing else to the children who might mm. be listening right now. But if, you know, really, if you're making up a, a wartime legend and saying and saying, you know, in the same it, during that same the same war he's made up. Yes. What you're doing is treating people like children who are expected to believe in Father Christmas but for during, their own good. During
3: the Second World War, though, were we not involved in um, radio messages to Europe? Uh, was Lord Haw Haw not involved in radio messages to us from Germany? Yeah. you know so I mean it's not unusual for that to happen particularly during wartime Absolutely. I worry more about it happening during peacetime like what it happened when um, Covid was going on.
0: I think people have to I'm be aware I'm more concerned that, about that. Yeah propaganda is happening all the time of course you're right to link with the work I did on the state of fear there's propaganda happening right now with regards to net zero I think propaganda bumbles along in one guise or another all the time yeah. it's most obvious during war there's a lot of leniency towards it but it's interesting to see right now who's justifying the creation of a myth and a legend aka a lie mm. and not calling it misinformation. Yeah. Watch those same people who will label everything they don't like as misinformation. Yes,
3: and anything which they think is a subject which should not be discussed in the open because there's a mm. lot of that on social media. I was bang on about the Facebook uh, uh, cronies who pointed to an interview and uh, my weekly interview with Peter Hitchens mm. where they put a tagline on it saying mm. some of the information uh, in this um, interview may be um, mis- what was it misleading was the word. And I'm going, sorry? Says who? Who says it's misleading? You? You know, Palo Alto, California? You know, Scooby-Doo? Who says it's misleading? It's not bloody misleading. We know what we're talking about.
0: Exactly. We'll see what everyone says now about the ghost of Kiev. That's mm. that's the interesting thing. This is this is the interesting thing. It's the fact that a lie has been admitted and it's how people are handling it. Yeah,
3: exactly right. Fascinating stuff. Now, we've only got a minute now. So do you want to start with Gate oh, and carry not? it over?
0: Yeah, I know you've already talked about it quite a lot with uh, Listen, Kevin O'Sullivan on the same no, there's
3: station. There's no reason but... not to talk about it more. It's a very funny story. I is... d- I'm not one of those that goes all kind of, you know, pearl-clutching and go,
0: oh, somebody's watching photography. Oh, my goodness me. It, 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 it is funny. And there's something that made me really laugh about it. Let's just um, go with the premise that he was not searching for tractors. There is a kind of truth adjacency. Now, when my when one of my little boys was little, he would wake up from a nap and he would go, Tract or tractor, right? What little boy doesn't yeah. have a deep and abiding love for tractors? Yeah. So there's there's almost this kind of um, this plausibility yes. here that he's searching for tractors when he's there actually is. searching for dominators.
3: Well, listen, I didn't even know what dominator was uh, until yesterday. Oh yeah, you shows do. you how uh, sheltered a life I've led. We'll be back with Laura Dodsworth and more tractors after this. <laughs> Talk Radio.
4: Error 5092. Argument failed to start. Reach for the story. There's
3: still a good argument for listening. Talk Radio. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Of course, uh, Laura Dodsworth are here. It must be Tuesday, right? Um, and we're talking about tractors.
0: Oh, we are. And, and, and we just couldn't stop talking about it during the day, could we? No. I was on a bit of a roll, like a, well, like know, a I, diesel-powered I, tractor. I think
3: I've, I've lived... And I've even lived in Wiltshire, so I know a thing or two about tractors. You know, I can probably mm-hmm. identify them from... I, I know a difference between a combine harvester, from a, you know, a Massey Ferguson, from a John Deere. I mean, I had a friend who had a Ferrari ride-on mower, you know.
0: Uh, Mike, this is not the juice in the conversation. Well, stop telling us about my tractors. Point is, my
3: point is, I thought I'd lived a pretty you know, well-balanced, educated life. I'd never heard of tractors in connection with sex at all.
0: Oh, no, it's a thing. It's a thing. Yeah, well, I didn't know that. Yes, it is. Um, there's a, a specific... There are various genres. There are I things mean, I... we
3: can't discuss, obviously, at this no. time of the day.
0: No, let's be careful about that. T- OK, let's get on to safer ground. Yes. The fact is, all this speculation wouldn't be happening had he... Undertaken these searches in his own time, in his own home. Yes, but the fact is, he did it on the parliamentary estate. Now he's not alone in doing this. Um, I found a Guardian article back in two thousand eighteen mm. that said there were twenty four thousand searches for pornography from the parliamentary estate in a five month period. So that was
3: just Damian Green.
0: <laughs> or, and Neil <laughs> Parish. But what are they doing? So I think this is well, really uncomfortable blurring is, between really personal. Is. And professional...
3: And what does it tell you about the sort of people they are? Because, you know, it's a bit like... I mean, I don't know. I can't imagine any scenario where anyone sensible or with a brain would do that at work.
0: It shouldn't be happening at work. But you know what? I feel like there was a brief glorious hiatus that was driven by feminism for a couple of decades where there wasn't pornography in a workplace. But if I think a bit further back to when I was a younger woman, if you'd go into a mechanics or really lots of different types of male-dominated shops, you would have... The calendar. Calendars or other types of photography that were ripped out of magazines on the wall. If you were lucky, it was the classy Pirelli variety. It may not have been Pirelli. And there was something kind of uncomfortable about Mm. That And so when I think about Neil Parrish's female colleagues, regardless of what he says he was intending on searching for, what they saw was pornography mm. on a male colleague's phone in the workplace. Yeah. And that creates a very hostile environment. I do wonder if there's something going on here with lockdowns as well, because people have blurred their home work yes. time. And maybe we need to reintroduce some hygiene when you're at work. Mm. You're at work. Yeah. And, you know, I'm guilty of this. I've been sitting in bed in my pyjamas with my coffee, banging out 1,000 words before I get up. But that's working. That's an interesting
3: <laughs> but, uh, turn of phrase, but there we are.
0: <laughs> no, I just realised. But what I'm doing is working in my private time. You know, I think actually we, yeah, all, no, you're we right, it all benefit has become from blurred. reintroducing boundaries. Well, this
3: is part of my constant crusade to get people back to the office, because at the end of the day, it's not good for people to have that. And I had a really interesting conversation at the weekend, actually, on the show on Friday, on Saturday night with Kevin, where people said... Um, People have a different persona at work, you know, so if you're working from home, you, your relationship can, can really alter because the person in, in which you're with whom you are living mm. sees you in a different light. Because you might be a completely different person at work than the one oh. that's at home.
0: I don't know. I mean I, I've worked as a freelancer for most of my working life so i don't really relate to that i'm i'm the same person wherever you find me okay but But that's
3: because of what you do a lot of people who would have formerly been in an office for Mm. example is what i'm talking about who may be working a team you know they they all know each other there's a certain kind of you know structure to that there's a certain hierarchy to it Mm. and in the home you might be a different structure and a different hierarchy altogether
0: yeah. Well, if anything, I hope this story is not just going to introduce some better standards in the House of Commons where they should flipping well be. They
3: really ought to pull their socks up. Pull-
1: Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
4: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up.
0: Plushcare.com/slash/weight-loss. Their socks up. I mean, they're public servants. It's a disgrace for the yeah. constituents, not to mention all of us and his wife. Mm. But hopefully, every workplace is going to be thinking about setting some standards because yes. this is just not on. Well, to That's be honest, not most what you other workplaces, work.
3: but most other workplaces have already done that. Yeah, you yeah, know, I think there so. is no place of work that I know of where that would be allowed. Let's talk about uh, your other um, subject today, body sure. dysphoria. Yes,
0: yeah, so I have another article out today. That they're coming along like buses today. This one is in the Critic magazine. You can find it online uh, from today. I've written about social media content. So it's the internet again, social media content, which is promoting something called top surgery. Mm. And the reason I started looking into this is that Pink News launched a video on Snapchat called Pure Trans Joy. Now, this is a video which is um, probably going to be very welcomed as a positive thing by trans men. Mm. So that's women who identify as men, for whom top surgery can be a form of treatment for their gender dysphoria. Uh-huh. I have a slight issue with the term top surgery in itself, because top surgery is very euphemistic. Mm. Top surgery is bilateral mastectomy. Right. It's removing the breasts. Okay. But I was quite shocked when I saw So, once film. again, it's
3: language that doesn't describe what it's supposed to describe in other words
0: well no, it does but in a very euphemistic well, really. term in any other you know if a woman had to have can't, had removed for cancer right. we wouldn't be calling it top no, surgery it's bilateral I mean. mastectomy and also if you ask
3: somebody what does that mean they wouldn't I, I'm sure they wouldn't know
0: But this video is very, very positive. It uses words like euphoria, joy, freedom, even the bliss of fairy dust. What it doesn't do is in any sense present a balanced view of seeking irreversible treatment for gender dysphoria. Mm. And you have to bear in mind it's on Snapchat. Their biggest demographic is 13 to 17-year-old girls. And the reason I've taken an interest in this is back in 2020, I photographed and interviewed detransitioners. So that was women Mm. who thought they were trans, had had mastectomies and hysterectomies and hormones and then changed their mind. So some people go down that path, think it was a mistake... And they're left with irreversible changes to their body and right. huge psychological and social consequences. Trauma, trauma very trauma, very traumatised. So I'm quite concerned that this video is not presenting enough balance. Now, if we had a video that was about breast enhancement surgery mm. that painted it in the same way on a platform, which is mainly used by young girls, we would there would probably be an outcry. Yeah. People would be angry. It would be, there'd be a lot of censorship. And in fact, under advertising standards authority rules, that will be illegal. Probably. This month. Yes. This month, there are new rules coming in. It would be considered
3: to be irresponsible.
0: But it's like gender gives it this this kind of special magic dust where they can talk about removing the breasts in a very uncritical way. So. The reason that this is more of a problem than you might think is that once upon a time, the people that presented at gender identity clinics were male, Mm. but now about three quarters are young girls. They're teenage girls, young women. So something has happened. The ratio of people presenting at gender identity clinics has changed.
3: I mean, I've been told by some people who work in the school system, particularly private schools, actually, that it's a kind of trend more than it's anything. And an Mm. awful lot of these young girls are doing this because they think it's quite trendy to to do.
0: It could be, or they might have some background issues. Now, you've basically just hit upon the emerging hypothesis of rapid-onset gender dysphoria, which was developed by Dr Lisa Lippman, And she said that the internet can't make you trans. No-one is suggesting that if you go on the internet and find this, you're going to become trans. Being transgender is something that's... um, going to be innate to the individual. However, if a young woman maybe has neurodiversity or she might have had some sexual abuse or trauma, Mm. sometimes it's happening to girls who are lesbian and have experienced homophobia, they might have a a type of body dysmorphia and... um, mental discomfort that when they see that kind of content they think oh that's me Mm. so she's put forward this hypothesis that certain types of social media content through peer contagion and social contagion are encouraging young girls to think they're trans when in fact given time those feelings would resolve Mm. so we're in a situation right now where the government has said we shouldn't ban conversion therapy for trans people and this has caused a furore okay but The problem with banning that conversion therapy is that it would ban very sensible, legitimate talking therapies for young teenage Mm. girls or any young people who want to discuss why they feel gender dysphoric. So the government's made that sensible decision. What I'm worried about is by the time a young girl gets to that first doctor's appointment she has already found a plethora of content mm. on social media that's reinforced this idea of being trans. Yeah. And I think it's something that we you know we we need to be presenting a much more there's got to be a better balance between providing information for trans people but not encouraging people who might grow mm. out of it.
3: No, I think that's a very good point. Sadly, uh, we're out of time oh, already.
0: Once again, I know. I'm sorry. Over so quickly. I know,
3: but it was brilliant. Uh, thank you very much, Lord Dosworth. Uh, back again, of course, next uh, Tuesday. Follow her on Twitter. Uh, check out all the things she's writing at the moment, and uh, we will see you after this on Talk TV. Radio with an answer for everything. Talk Radio, the home of common sense. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We're going to be filming Plank of the Week coming back uh, this afternoon. Kevin O'Sullivan uh, will be in uh, pursuit, and so will Esther Krekou. Uh, She'll also be there as well. There have been so many planks. I mean, you'd have to say Tractor Man uh, was probably going to figure in it, I would imagine. Uh, Angela Rayner, very possibly. Uh, Keir Starmer, more than likely. Um, You know, is there anyone in the House of Commons that knows how to do their job properly? Um, we are, by the way, going to hear from the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, probably sometime around midday. Uh, he's addressing the Ukrainian parliament and uh, we'll bring you all of that uh, as soon as we have it, of course. Meanwhile, uh, it's time now to talk about yet another part of our uh, amazing government stroke public sector infrastructure that doesn't appear to be working. We've just heard two terrible tales about the NHS and how some people who run hospitals really shouldn't be doing that and some hospitals are not really doing their job and some of the people in them are not doing their job. I know uh, it's an an unfortunate uh, conclusion to come to but I'm afraid as much as many doctors and nurses on the front line do an incredibly good job there are some people who are working in those environments who frankly need a couple of lessons in humility and lessons in how to treat the public because the public are actually the paying customers imagine saying to jilly and her daughter do you have any idea how much money's been spent to get you to this stage before you think about walking out of a waiting room where you've been for eight hours with suspected internal bleeding i mean do me a small favor guess what else isn't working yes that's right the police They're not working either. Let's talk to Nusrit Mitab, former Scotland Yard superintendent, of course, because the problem we've got with the cops now uh, is that fewer than half of senior police leaders would recommend joining the service. And meanwhile, out there in the real world of burglary, you know, police and thieves, unsolved burglaries hit 500 a day. Nuzrit, very good morning to you. Hi, good morning, Mike. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm getting angry with the NHS. Um, I'm not, much less angry with the police, for heaven's sake. What is going on inside the police service these days?
4: Well, uh, the figures you've read are absolutely horrendous, and it seems it's, you know, one burglary in 33 that's even brought to charge.
3: Here's
4: the thing, Mike. Policing priorities are different. Policing priorities are more violent crime, knife crime, gun crime, terrorism, and male violence against women and girls. Mm. So what's considered low-level crime, such as burglary theft, criminal damage, are not given the attention they need. And the interesting thing is, the impact that a burglary has on a person is immense. And, you know, it's quite upsetting to know that that person who's coming to your house is not going to be found. And there's various things that are going on here. Funding, lack of funding, lack of police officers. And, you know, we've seen cut after cut into neighbourhood policing. So police officers can't give it the time and attention that they need mm. so this needs to go back the responsibility of it does need to go back to the government as well because numbers as we know over the last few years have just completely mm. been cut in neighborhood policing policing's lost its heart because you touched on two issues there you know senior leaders yes kind of people not to join and that's because policing has lost its heart we've seen so many um, horrendous things going on and so recruitment is hard there's great negativity around policing And it's of their own making.
3: Yes. I mean, there was a story yesterday from, I think, Norfolk uh, Constabulary uh, in which they had put out a tweet or they put out some guidance or something uh, in which they named 37 different genders as things that they would recognise when interviewing suspects. And you're going, sorry, guys. I mean, why don't you just get to the heart of the matter? If somebody's doing something against the law, arrest them, question them, worry about what gender they are uh, after you've decided what they've done. Surely?
4: yeah i mean i wasn't aware of that article so it does sound interesting to me but we need you know uh, we need to have trust and confidence all the things that you're saying about burglaries being low uh the negativity around policing affects trust and confidence so people don't have trust and confidence if somebody broke into your house and they came and invaded your space you would expect that crime to be investigated but police officers don't have that luxury anymore mm. you know, detectives are going around carrying 40 crimes which do they give priority what is the false priority so we need investment but we need the right type of leadership mike yeah and that's what's missing in policing hopefully with a new commissioner he or she can actually take this forward and i think government does need to listen as well we need more funding we need more police officers but most of all we need people with a passion to come into policing because at the moment. That passion isn't there. The heart of policing has slowly been
3: eroded. I mean, a lot of people say to me, ex-police officers, that the leadership is lacking. And that is the point that, you know, there are people in those leadership positions, but they're just not doing it right. And I mean, the Metropolitan Police, for example, having lost Cressida Dick, um, now appears to be a bit rudderless. I don't even know who's in charge of it. Do you?
4: Well, I think it's um, Steve House. But it's the same network of people that are in charge. And for me, Steve, you know, Steve House has been a part of that leadership, senior leadership team that have failed. Miss Dick didn't fail on her own. There was a whole infrastructure that failed. And we need to start again, that leadership structure, the uh, senior leadership team needs to go. And I think that's one of the first things that commissioner needs to, new commissioner needs to do. He or she needs to clear the decks address the community admit to the problems and start again you know you have to be able to acknowledge something to fix it and all these people that we're talking about are part of the problem but who is going to be the new leader Mm. and i think you know quite honestly mike londoners should decide we should have the top three the top five with their cvs and let londoners contribute to who they want to see the next leader This shouldn't be done behind closed doors Mm. that's where the problems have all arisen and leaders need to lead They need to have a clear strategy. They need to be strong and they need to lead.
3: Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. The problem as well, uh, presumably, is that the burglaries that are being unsolved are going to be kind of um, like sort of grist to the mill for the burglars. They're going to go, well, there's a pretty good chance I'm not going to get caught when I do this. The only thing that's likely to happen is if, if somebody happens to come back to the house while I'm doing it or if there's somebody in the house. But if you're a burglar, this is, you know, quids in time, isn't it?
4: Well, the message isn't right for burglars, you know, people that commit other low, what's considered low-level crimes, which are not low-level to the victim. Now, I absolutely agree, you know, it's out there uh, and people will take that message. It's not the right message. It's not the right message to victims who've gone through this. It's not the right message that we're sending out to everybody. But there is an issue and there's a problem of trying to solve these things because you need the evidence. You need CCTV. You need to be able to, collate that evidence. But if the money isn't there to do that, it becomes very difficult. Mm. But I totally agree with you. What kind of message are we sending out to people to be perpetrating these crimes, which are considered low level, and hence the increase in these crimes? Sexual offences at the lowest, you know, prosecutions in rape, Mm. 1% that get to court. So what kind of message are we sending to perpetrators it all needs to change Mike the whole ethos now needs to be different we need to have a stronger approach we need stronger leadership and we need the government to back our police
3: yes and you said that there's not enough of them uh, and I don't disagree with that but was it not just the other week that we were told that 12,000 new police officers have been recruited as part of this new Tory plan to boost the numbers by 20,000 albeit that you know we know that there was already 20,000 down in the first place but have we now got some at least coming through
4: um, it's just, we, we've got some coming through, and I think it's kind of smoking mirrors and playing with the figures, but policing needs more. Those figures, you know, look at the people, the amount of people that are leaving policing. It's a revolving door. So you're getting those 12, and that's not enough. Where are they going? In what mm. position? This is nationally. This just isn't for, you know, um, the Met police. This is, uh, numbers are national. So when you think about people leaving and the people coming in, it just doesn't equally
3: man mm. No it really doesn't and as no. far as the way um, that police are kind of trained is concerned you know we, we focus a lot on the police on this show as you can imagine um, particularly when there's those ludicrous protests by the Just Stop Oil Brigade or the Insulate Britain mob the people who glue themselves to roads and the police seem really reluctant and sometimes even discouraged from doing anything to them you know they let them uh, invade the clackett lane service station last uh, last week they then went from there to the next one along at cobham and vandalized the petrol pumps you know creating all kinds of havoc and i'm sure they might have been arrested in the end but they don't seem to be too enthusiastic about arresting them and at one point i saw a picture of a police officer actually sitting down with them as if he was in kind of solidarity
4: well, here, you know, you've got to have a clear strategy, a clear plan to be able to deal with it. And this is where the leadership comes. If you know there's going to be a protest, protesters do have rights. We acknowledge that because we live In a society, you know, we live with freedom of speech and there's a freedom of protest. But there needs to be a clear strategy from those leaders as to what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. And that message needs to be replicated to police, to the officers that are actually dealing with it. And sometimes there's a disconnect, Mike, Mm. as to what needs to be done, what should be done and how that's translated by those officers that are actually trying to do their job.
3: Yeah, I think there's definitely a massive problem. But listen, uh, we shall continue to ask the right questions and see if we can get some answers. Nazareth, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Nazir Metab their former Scotland Yard superintendent, talking uh, about the state of play in the police force in this country because there's no question, is there, that there is a problem. If you've ever tried to call for a policeman to come to your house because you've had a burglary or because somebody's stolen your car or somebody's stolen your bike, I would bet you any money that you couldn't get one. But if you run through a red light, oh, you'll soon be pulled over by somebody, uh, or you'll soon get a ticket in the post from the local constabulary saying they want three points and a £100 fine. Oh, they'll soon do that. They seem to be policing now by camera. That's what they do. Even when they are out and about, they're filming everything. You see a guy uh, at the uh, Just Stop Oil protest the other week, when they were actually disabling a tanker, quite dangerously in my view. They were actually snipping the brake uh, cords. The policemen were filming what they were doing instead of stopping them from doing it and then arresting them. Call me old fashioned? I mean, you know, there was a time when they'd arrest them and then give them a bit of a going over with a truncheon. They can't do that anymore, but what are they filming exactly? I was filming uh, in a northerly direction uh, where I was able to witness uh, the alleged accused uh, cutting a brake cord. Uh, I decided this was a very dangerous matter, so I thought the best thing for me to do would be to record it on film. Uh, so that we could show it to a court later but unfortunately uh, the uh, the accused then escaped uh, and we haven't been able to find him since so we haven't been able to bring him to the court uh, in order to prosecute him for the offence which I have recorded on my video machine I mean just arrest them Don't, isn't that what you should be doing for heaven's sake Emma says this I'm gobsmacked listening to your last two callers my heart went out to John as for the woman rushed into hospital with suspected internal bleeding made to wait in a waiting room for 12 hours without even being seen was truly shocking Saji Javid you need to take note well we've said this before and I say it again we are compiling a list of some of the phone calls that we get on a weekly basis here at talk tv because it's truly harrowing for an awful lot of people it's unbelievable what's happening out there Yes, of course, there are good stories. Yes, of course, we tell those good stories when we get them as well. And some people have had wonderful service at the hands of the NHS, but not everyone does. And more and more people don't. And I'm hearing more and more people like John and like uh, Jilly who have horrendous stories to tell. Happily for Jilly, it didn't end in tragedy. But for John, his wife goes into hospital with a bad leg and died in there at the hands of people who have yet to explain what happened to him. That is simply not acceptable, is it? Shocking. Is is Talk TV. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. A very good afternoon to you if you are out and about. uh, It didn't look too nice out there. Uh, Normally this is weather reserved for a bank holiday, which was of course yesterday. Uh, There appears to be a few more people doing some work today, so I'm very encouraged by that. Well done for coming back to work in an ailing economy uh, after a pandemic uh, when nobody's supposedly got any money. uh, You've all decided it was a great idea to take most of the weekend off and party. Well, listen, I'm as much of a party animal as an next man uh, but sometimes you need to do your bit to fight for the economy, to fight uh, to get things back to normal, to get businesses back up and running, to ensure that the NHS runs properly, to make the police work properly, to make sure basically that Britain remains as great a country as it was a few years ago. Because as Brendan Chilton said to me in the first hour this morning, It does feel a bit as though we're on our uppers, doesn't it? It does feel a bit as though Britain is kind of broken, that Britain isn't quite working in the way that it should. We have, after all, let's face it, and count once more, one, a border force that doesn't stop people breaking our borders, even though they're illegally coming here by their thousands. Two, we have an NHS which clearly doesn't work doctors who won't see anybody patients who can't get appointments dentists who can't see any patients either because they can't hire any dental nurses we've got restaurants who can't get any staff you've got people uh, in all manner of businesses who simply can't do what they want to do because there are not enough people to hire to do the things that they want to do surrey police lgbt plus has tweeted out this And this is sent to me uh, by one of our listeners. Your LGBT plus team have been busy taking part in arranging some upcoming school talks, visiting a lot of you, going through all LGBT plus hate crimes and getting ready for our training day later in the month. Lots going on. As always, uh, we are here when you need us. Really? Well, apparently not. Because there are some people saying who live in Surrey that when they get their house broken into, the police are visually and absolutely not there when they're supposed to be. For heaven's sake, it's not a good look, is it? Absolutely not a good look at all. Let's get some more of your phone calls uh, on board. 0344 499 1000. We'll hear more of your tales of woe about the NHS, but also we will listen if you have a good story to tell us about the NHS as well. Uh, Boris Johnson is going to be coming up at some point during this hour. He's making an address to the Ukrainian parliament. He's the first world leader to do so uh, since the Russian invasion. And we will bring that to you as soon as it happens. In the meantime, though, let's talk to Cindy Yu, a uh, broadcast editor of the spectator and presenter of our Ch- Chinese whispers. Oh, I'm sorry I'm told Boris Johnson uh, is now am I told Cindy sorry Cindy's here Uh, she was um, brought up in Nanjing she's got a master's in Chinese studies from Oxford she's going to talk to us um, about what is actually going on inside of China and where parts of it are basically in lockdown and have been for the last four weeks Cindy a very good afternoon to you. Hi, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for uh, waiting for us. We're sort of slightly up in the air at the moment because we don't—we're uh, not sure when Boris Johnson's going to appear from nowhere. Yeah. So do forgive us if—if uh, if he does. Um, fascinating stuff. Reading your stuff in the Spectator uh, about what's been going on in China because often very difficult to find out what's what's really at the heart of of, of what's happening. Some of the videos we've seen coming out of there—I was told by uh, another correspondent, Ian Williams, uh, uh, last week that some of the videos going out are not actually genuine videos, but some are. Tell us what what you know.
1: Yeah, I think when it comes to social media um, videos, it's very uh, useful for us on the outside to use that kind of thing to judge uh, what's going on on the ground. But as Ian Williams was saying, some of those are not genuine. Or if they are genuine, they're not necessarily representative Mm, of what's happening, of a policy or or wider phenomenon. So for example, at the beginning of the uh, COVID-19 outbreak, there were these stories about people being welded into their flats now, that to some people in the West seemed like that was a government policy, but actually it was just a local authority taking things into their own hands. So that's the kind of thing right. we need to kind of differentiate. What is a phenomenon? Because China is such a big country. You know, if you think about it, in, over, over in this country, we had drones following people, but that was no, at no point a policy of the government. Right. So that that's the kind of thing we have to be careful about when we're looking at these reports but having said that it is clear that what is going on with the shanghai people for the last month has been absolutely horrific and frankly nobody expected that kind of stuff to happen in the 21st century in the richest city in china um the Shanghainese themselves have been absolutely shocked that something like this could happen to yeah. them at, at this moment in time given their education given their cosmopolitanism um, and i think that's why there's been such a juxtaposition compared to other places that have been locked down, is because the Shanghainese people felt like, well, hold on a minute, famine was a problem of the last century, (laughs) let alone 2022. Um, And so hence the whiplash effect, basically. Yeah. It's interesting
3: as well, because I didn't know, and it could be just because of my my own ignorance. I wasn't aware that there was so much kind of social media chatter that goes on inside of China. Um, Tell us about that. So Weibo and WeChat apparently are the two main sort of channels, right?
1: Right, absolutely. Like any social media platform you can imagine that you use here in the West, there will be a Chinese equivalent too. Um, So people will obviously know that TikTok came from China Mm. itself. Uh, The Chinese version is called Douyin, which actually has much more functions. You can even buy things on there. So it's like an e-commerce app as well. You've got Weibo, which is like Twitter. Uh, You've got WeChat, which is a bit like WhatsApp. But Combined with Facebook, so there are lots of things going on, and a lot of Chinese. Um, like one billion Chinese are internet users themselves, right. so that's two thirds of the population. So they're pretty digital people. Yeah. Um. And so, uh, my my article from the Spectator was basically saying the censors exist as they do, can't catch up with everyone because you just can't catch up. 1 billion users, uh, when they're not 1 billion sensors. And even with the help of artificial intelligence and so on, there will be things that fall through the net. And that's what we see. Yes. You know, We post it onto Twitter, or if you troll Chinese social media yourself as I do, you see that, you know, online for maybe, you know, five hours, 10 hours, maybe even a day before someone comes and takes it down. Right. And even then you can see the trace of it being taken down. So on WeChat, they, there's a timeline, uh, people can post on their timelines, if something they posted then gets deleted afterwards, you can still see that they've posted it with the headline it was mm. click on it it says 404 error so people know when they're being censored right. and the censors are just not fast enough frankly for that kind of stuff to not get around before they get to it
3: that's interesting because i would have thought that you would have you would have imagined anyway that the chinese government if they really wanted to put a stop to all of it would just put some kind of a block um on usage uh, at certain maybe times of the day or at, on certain days of the week you know what i mean
1: yeah, it's hard to do. It's hard to do because China's uh modern economy is so much based on these technological companies, uh they don't want to necessarily just shut down that entire part of the economy. Mm. You know, people live their lives digitally now, and, and that's a good thing. Uh, it's a it's a consumer-based economy in China right now. So there's no easy block. Um, and then the Chinese people also have fun ways of getting around things. So um, for example, if you want to talk about the government, uh in Chinese, you would instead of saying uh writing it out in Chinese where you could be picked up by a word searcher you would just say ZF which is the English abbreviated uh, version right. of that uh, how the, how you spell in English letters ah. so then you have ZF around and the censors find it much harder to keep up with that kind of thing because if you're online a lot you come up with all sorts of new jargon new lingo uh, and the censors really have to know what it is that you're referencing yes. before they can censor anything this
3: is always uh, an argument I have about freedom of speech in this country as well and in, in, in the west I suppose broad Because, you know, the technology is always improving the technology. uh, I I fear sometimes is being used even by the tech companies in the West to kind of mute people rather than augment what they can say and make it easier for them to say things They they, in, in this country. They're kind of making it more difficult. Whereas in China, it almost sounds as though the public is leading, you know, the way.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, At The Spectator here, we've started our own YouTube channel. It's called Spectator TV. Uh, And we've had moments where we touch slightly, you know, spicy topics such as lockdown scepticism. And, you know, those videos often don't do as well. And we've had conversations with YouTube as a platform, you know, are you shadow banning us? You know, are you pushing us down the rankings because uh, you you don't think what we say is in alignment with the government's COVID Mm. uh, uh, output? you know, they don't give a clear answer to that, but there's no way for people who use these platforms to really know, frankly. It is just suspicious that some videos tend to do amazingly well and others, you know, really kind of stagnate on the exact same channel um, when they're same format. the kind of questions i think people should have about western social media and it's interesting in china it is that sort of social media companies themselves to do the censoring mm. as well so it's not a it's not a government party member picking no. behind no, i mean the we had
3: the, we had the same problem we were we were taken our entire channel was taken down by right. youtube for about three days um and they never really did give a satisfactory explanation other than that we had somehow violated their policy but they couldn't tell us what policy we'd violated you know
1: yeah absolutely i mean there's just no contact it's, it's just computer says no isn't it
3: it really is and and it's very frustrating particularly when people start banging on about how free we are here uh, and how unfree they are in china but let's talk a bit more about the covid aspect of it because is the government trying to pursue a sort of net zero if you like in covid terms or um is the new covid strain that they're dealing with more dangerous i mean why have they suddenly become so obsessed with another lockdown
1: well, I think the problem is that Omicron is just so much more infectious. It's not more dangerous, as we know here um, in the UK, where um, COVID does seem like a thing of 2021, famous last words. But you know, it, it is just more infectious, but uh, shown to be more mild. But when the you know mark scheme, when the criteria for success in China is no cases at all a case even if it's mild becomes a problem and so when when the zero COVID policy worked for delta that's because the r rate was probably around two uh when it was uncontrolled whereas for omicron at this peak in shanghai one person infected both omicron was infecting nine other people the officials were estimating Mm. so that kind of uh infection together with the zero COVID policy which means that you contact trace every single person. So if you get COVID, you have to be taken into central quarantine. You can't just get better at home. If you come in contact with someone who has COVID, you're taken to a different type of central quarantine Mm. center until, and monitored basically until you can definitely say you're positive or negative, at which point something else happens to you. So that means it provides this massive logistical problem Because you're finding places for people to go, it's essentially like nightingale hospitals Mm. used for tens and thousands of people just to be having a mild um cold cold light symptoms, because the ones with severe symptoms do get moved into hospitals. It's the kind of self-creation of a logistical problem mm. on top of the public health problem that is what Shanghai has seen, and the problem it hasn't. The, the reason it hasn't happened before is because infections just haven't been as high before under Delta because it hasn't been as infectious. Right. But are more um, people
3: dying as a result, or is it is it less uh, sort of toxic, less deadly, if you like, than the first wave?
1: Yeah, I mean, the case fatality rate doesn't seem to be incredibly high um, by comparison to to the original Wuhan uh, strain. Uh, So far, Shanghai has seen about 400, 500 deaths, and most of them are people, um, you know, at least over the age of 50 or 60. Mm. Uh, Normally, you know, the median age is around 70 or 80, with kind of pre-existing conditions that, you know, the same that has been impacting people here. Um, So so the death toll isn't huge, but that's not the problem. The problem is that the Chinese government has made the public feel so scared Mm about this virus over the last two years that this kind of lack of control over infections the fact that local infections is happening at all makes people very, very scared. And that all becomes a political Mm. legitimacy problem for the government because they have been singing and dancing about how well they've done with um, COVID over the last two years. Well, along comes Omicron and they can't say that anymore until they get get on top of this current um, round. And it's important to say, actually, that because of the way they've done things, Shanghai has been getting better. Case rates are falling. So yesterday's numbers was 20% lower than the numbers from the day before. And, you know, we can expect that lockdown to end in that city by the end of May at the latest. Okay. What? Well, that's it another. Obviously coming under.
3: That's another. That's quite a long way away. I mean, if you said to me you have to wait until the end of May to, uh, you know, next time to, to go out for dinner, that's quite a long wait, isn't it? I mean, what about um, the airports? Have they closed access to Shanghai? Have they closed. Have they sort of put a ring around the city, if you like?
1: Chinese, you know, inbound and outbound flight has been essentially, you know, the borders have been essentially closed since 2020. Right. Uh, someone like me who with family in China, living in London, I haven't been able to go back since 2019 because of COVID. Right. Um, every time I see someone in the China field, I ask them, when do you think <laughs> when do you think we can go back? Right. Uh, and the current estimate is 2023. Um, so not holding out hopes um, anytime soon. Um, at the moment, basically what they do is that if you find a COVID case on any um, travel route, That route is then shut down for about 28 days Mm. uh, for further monitoring because perhaps it's coming from a COVID hotspot. Uh, even once you get in, you have to then go through two to four weeks of quarantining a hotel to make sure that you haven't brought in the virus from abroad, um, which essentially rules out a lot of travel. And what we don't hear, because it's China, is how badly the airline companies exactly have been faring. You know, there is no Heathrow yes. Chief well, Executive is it. I mean, campaigning I, I, on the radio yeah. for the open borders again.
3: No, quite. I mean, I did say to Ian Williams, it must be having an effect on the economy. Uh, As a general uh, rule, not just the airport economy and the airline economy and travel economy, but just the whole economy must be um, suffering if people are not going out to work and they're not able to buy things, they're not able to shop, they're not able to, in some cases, get enough food for themselves.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely, and 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 I don't think the full impact is being um, is coming out yet, but we have seen some signs. For example, um, in February, the government um, announced its GDP target this year to be five point five percent. Now that sounds pretty good to us, but that's actually the lowest in three decades for China, um, and that's even the government's own official target, which will be kind of um, trumped up a little Sipped bit up, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and even that, you know, various independent investing companies, consultancies like McKinsey, since the Shanghai lockdown have revised that downwards. So it's now looking like growth is not even going to be 5% for the Chinese economy this year. Right. Um, so, so that's the macro effect. We also know other smaller things like uh, in one province uh, in Guangzhou uh, lockdown last year, the mass testing itself. Um, because what China does is that it brings up like an entire city for mass testing. You know, mm. you see these pictures of people lining up, <laughs> queuing to have group PCR tests and that kind of thing. That kind of procedure costs that um, city $1 billion wow. last during one lockdown last year. So if that kind of stuff is multiplied across the country all the time, which it is, then the, the costs are, you know, huge but I think it's now become not, a, not an economic problem or a health problem, but a political problem. Yeah. So that's why they're doing the way, they're doing things the way they are.
3: And there's nobody there saying, by the way, you can't really make this a zero COVID situation. It's, no, it's never going to happen. Because they tried it in New Zealand, which is a much smaller country than China and much less populated, but even they yeah. couldn't manage it. So, I mean, it's a sort of hostage to fortune, isn't it?
1: No, yeah, absolutely. Um, and there are people saying that. There are public health officials who do warn that um, but they're not really listened to um, and we know this because sometimes they break rank sometimes social media is a good way to see that um, one thing that I've reported on is this one public health official in Shanghai on the phone to someone who was complaining to her about how inhumane the lockdown was and she was saying you know you think I haven't reported up to my uppers about how ridiculous a system is mm. I have. Nobody listens to me. Nobody listens to me. I have said again and again and again, people should be quarantining at home. They don't need to be in central quarantine. That Omicron is no worse than a flu at this current stage, unless you've got pre-existing conditions, but nobody listens to me. And it was a really harrowing, heartbreaking phone call because you just see these people Mm. who, you know, are not stupid people and they're very well-read and well-educated. They know the science behind all of this. And they think that the approach is not right. But again, again, they just don't get listened to because it's not a public health issue anymore; it's a political issue.
3: Political issue, yeah, absolutely right. Well, listen, fascinating, Cindy. Thank you very much indeed for that insight, Cindy. You, their broadcast editor of the Spectator, presenter of our Chinese Whispers podcast as well. Fascinating stuff. We'll have more of your calls coming next. Talk radio across the UK, online on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.